Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Hello and good morning and welcome back to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. My name is Dr. Lulu, a.k.a. The Marmatrician. It is Friday the 13th, believe it or not. I don't know when you're going to listen to this, but today is Friday the 13th. And with all the things that the number 13 has, the, all the feelings that that brings to the table, we're, we're trying to flip that on its, on its head today and talk about life and goodness and celebrating being here right? That's, that's, that's what this podcast really is about. Even though it talks about suicide, it literally is about staying and choosing to stay and, and life and survival and celebration and um, just kind of seizing all of the goodness and wanting to elaborate that more. So of course, we're going to talk about pain and sorrow and sadness but talking about it takes the sting away from it. And so I'm here to present another guest to you. I don't even know her enough yet, but that's good because she's here and she's gonna share her story. Her name is Heather. She'll be my second Heather. So her name is Heather Hopley. And she's gonna to talk to us about her, her life and her journey. And she's also a fellow podcaster. I think she's only the third fellow podcaster that I've had. So this is awesome. So Heather, where do you want to begin? An introduction, who you are, what you do, and then just get right into it. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. It's, it's, uh, it's a big topic and, and it's one that I'm, I've committed myself to speaking about because the more of us who speak about it, you know, it makes it less scary for other people. And I didn't go through what I went through for nothing, you know? So um, let's see, I'm 45 years old now. And so, yes. And uh, that puts me growing up in the eighties. And let's see, I was an only child and so it was a team of my mom, my dad, and me. And, and you know, in the good times, it really was like that. Like, we were a team. And sometimes things got difficult. And 
I want to before I before I go into the whole story, I'd like to preface it with my mom and I are fine now. And that's so important to me. Um, we have a great relationship and we're both healthy. It took a while to get there. So I'm going to start with um, back in my childhood in the early 80s, um, only child, and I was, I was a smart kid. One of those kids who just could, uh, I could decide I wanted to do something and I could do it, which is cool. There's advantages to that. I'm not going to deny that. Uh, I don't know because I also don't have children. So I don't, I don't, I'm not really hooked into like the educational systems of these days. But back in the day, they used to take those smart kids and say, hey, you're gifted and talented. So you would get kind of removed from the normal classroom like once a week and then you'd get put into these gifted and talented programs and get to do all of these interesting things and, and learn a little bit more about, you know, different topics. And, and it was cool, you know, with that came a little bit of baggage. Mm. Gifted, if you're talented, you have the capacity to take on more mm. and you have the capacity to do anything you want in the world and failure just isn't a thing for you mm. and you're learning this at a very early age i learned this in second grade wow. that i could do more i should be able to be more i could be whatever i wanted which that's great messages but i also didn't learn hey guess what you're just a kid and you don't need to take on everything. So we lived in a Midwestern town in Minnesota, I'm from Minnesota, um, like upper Midwest. And uh, it was just sort of a normal existence in my early elementary school ages. Um, you know, mom and dad both went to work and I was what you call a latchkey kid back then. They don't do those anymore where you, where you come home early and you let yourself in. And, you know, I mean, I, my parents told me to practice piano when I got home for half an hour. I actually did it because that's what you do, you know, and, uh, you know, dad reshuffled his, his, his work schedule so he could get home from work a little bit early. And then, so, you know, it, we, we were good, you know, it, it was a, we, we were in a rhythm and we were happy, you know, from my perspective, I don't know what was going on with them. And when I was in third grade, my parents, my father was a photographer and my parents decided that they would purchase a photography studio and then we would move to a different town. Um, let's see. Moving to this different town, which is actually the town that I still live in, um, different towns have different personalities. And while the, the, the one that we moved from was this very like open, everybody kind of belonged, everybody seemed very nice to each other. 
you know, it's hard to tell if that was the truth because I was a little kid, but that's just the, the feeling that we got. Moving to a very conservative town where if you didn't live here your entire life, you were not from here. Mm. And they made sure you knew it. Yes. And mm. we had the audacity to purchase a business in this town, an established business. So, and, you know, I look back on, on my parents' experience and feeling like an outsider in, 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 a, in the community that they had decided to, you know, just move to and, and, and be a part of. And they were rejected on some levels. That had to be very difficult. Also, purchasing a small business and everything that comes with that where you aren't working for someone you are working for yourself and then my dad i mean he was an artist so not only is he relying on himself he's relying on his art and his abilities it was a lot and i am older now than they were then and i look back and i'm like you were just kids you were just kids oh my gosh you know so they had a lot of pressure going on and I, at that time, felt like it was my responsibility to not bother them. And as time went on, my mom was really, I believe, feeling the pressure of, of being a small business owner, of you know, being in this community that didn't necessarily embrace them. Um, and she developed a fairly serious case of panic disorder. Mm. And so I remember times where she was in her bed and that's where she would be. Mm. And I felt as a kid, you know, we're talking third grade, fourth grade, it was my job to not bother them, to not be a problem, to take care of what I need to take care of, and just not be the problem. I would be fine. I am fine. So, you know, I, it's a lot of just those kid, it starts off with just those kid problems, you know, like that I probably should have told my parents about, but I didn't. I just kept it all inside of me and continued burying and continued just being fine. I'm fine because I'm smart, I'm capable, I can do anything, I'm fine. Have a bad day at school, I'm fine. I was always fine. Mom's panic disorder would vacillate between her not being able to get out of bed or her being very angry. Mm. And I remember, you know, my parents fighting and mom slamming things around, doors slamming, you know, it, it unkind things being said, um, sometimes to me, um, but definitely to each other, my parents. Um, and one of the things with being an only child is one, when your parents are fighting, there's nowhere to escape. You, you really, you are, you, you don't have anybody else to talk to. You don't have anybody else to run this past. You are there. That is you. And even if you're in the other room, you can still hear it. And I'm empathetic. So I'm going to feel all that energy, you know? 
And with when when your parents are also fighting, you don't know the resolution because the resolution is so much more quiet than the fight. You hear the fight, you don't hear them making up, it's in normal tones. Mm -hmm. So like, as a kid, you're walking around thinking, your parents just spent last night fighting and oh my God, it's the end. Mm -hmm. I do know, um, yeah, I would, I spent 18 years, generally, Walking on eggshells around my parents' house. Oh, I, was just, I, was waiting, I was waiting for you to yeah. say that eggshells because you, yeah. and I, I think one thing I was waiting for you to say is also children, they usually blame themselves for as, as a cause of the fight. Like, what did I do? Yeah. What, what did I do? And so that results in the eggshells. And I was waiting for you yeah. to say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And this, that blaming yourself thing, I would do anyway, but then coupled with there again, I mean, I look back with empathy on two adults who were younger than I am today and didn't have the coping skills that I have. And like my dad, not knowing what was wrong with his wife, you know, what was going on with his wife, he was worried. And I remember very specifically a conversation. It was so dumb. (laughs) It was really dumb. Um, But at one point, I don't even know where I, I I don't know. It was, It was a stupid glow-in-the-dark camel, a plastic, tiny, like one-inch camel toy. Mm -hmm. And I had to be like in like fourth grade. I mean, it was one of those things like if you go into a restaurant and you go to the wishing well and you grab a toy Mm -hmm. and you pull it out, like junk toy, or it was like in some box of candy or something like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I knew it was mine and it was in the hallway on the floor my dad picked it up and looked at me and said what's this and I was like I don't know because I wasn't gonna rock any boats and he had a tone and he was like is it yours and I was like I, I don't know because I'm thinking it was on the floor I left something on the floor oh my god I don't know how that got there you know <laughs> and he said well if it's not yours, then somebody has been in this house. And I was, well, then I'm too far into the story, you know? And I was like, I I don't know. I don't know. And then he looked at me and said, you know, sometimes, you know how parents can make their kids feel like they're bad kids. And I thought, oh my God, he gets it. He understands how I feel. It's like, it was like a life, a life preserver in the moment. And I was like, yeah. And he said, well, sometimes parents, no, I'm sorry. He said, yeah. Well, sometimes kids can make their parents feel like they're bad parents. And it was such a meaningless dumb lie on my point, but the response to it, and he knew it was a dumb lie. Like, you know, the response to it was something that still, still like stuck with me and maybe actually does give me a little bit of insight into they were over their head and he did not know the right thing to say. And if he would have been, you know, better equipped with better tools, he would not have said that. 
Are you also um, just listening to you talk? Are you, I hear you wanting to get to the edge, but not letting yourself get there. Mm. You know, because I'm a pediatrician and I'm a, and I'm a, <laughs> and I work with at risk youth. Mm. You know, I almost want to say that I don't care what your dad was thinking. He had no right to say that. And of course, mm. it's, I have, I mean, I respect that, but in the, in the, because I'm also a coach and coaching is about moving forward. Sure. Have no, you, you have no reason to take any kind of blame for that. You, you're a minor. You're always going to be the child where your parent is, you know, and today I'm 52 in March. My father is always going to be 40, whatever number of years older than me. Yeah. he should always be in the father role, no matter. Yeah. And so I don't yeah. think it's fair for you to even take on any of it. I don't care what was going on in his life. Because three times now you said, oh, they didn't know any better. They had a child. Mm-hmm. They have the responsibility to raise their child. Mm-hmm. And, and not in the guilt world, guilt-ridden world, that you're working on eggshells. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. You're a child. And growing up with all of that guilt will give you back pain, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair. Right. You, you should, even today, you should not try to, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, reconcile the, the fact that, oh, yeah, he didn't know anybody. He should have known better. If you're no. a parent today, and you, you know what I mean? Like today, yeah. 45, if, if you were a parent and you brought your child and your child told me that you said that to them, I'm not going to let you off the hook because you should know better. It's not fair because the child didn't ask to be born. The child yeah. didn't ask for the camel to be in the hall, even if it was a piece of glass. Yeah. And he stepped on the glass. Mm-hmm. And because I teach a class on parenting without yelling, mm-hmm. I know that there's always never a reason. Those two together, always yeah. never a reason to yell at the kid, always mm-hmm. never a reason. To, to say something demeaning and meaning and whatever to the child that I mean to the child, to the mm-hmm. child to feel small mm-hmm. 20 years later, 30 yeah. years later. Mm-hmm. That was a direct attack. And yeah. whatever caused his mood, he had no business taking it out on you. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully there's a parent out there listening right now. You need to check yourself before you interact with a child. Even if it was a piece of glass that he stepped on and you yeah. broke the glass and you already feel bad enough for breaking the glass, if that makes any sense, you know, mm-hmm. but for mm-hmm. him to make you feel smaller and smaller and so tiny and you're the only child, you have no respite. There's no big brother or big sister to cushion, you know, to hug on you. And mm-hmm. to this date, you still feel, I can hear it in your voice. Yeah. yeah. You're still taking responsibility for the meanness, which is basically bullying. Yeah. yeah. Verbal and emotional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How I are hear- you doing? What was that? But how are you doing today? Today? I am, I am fine. Which sounds like I'm not dealing with things 
because like I said before, my job is to always have been fine. fine. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was because you say your job is always to be safe. I'm fine. I'm fine. And mm-hmm. and that is a, that is a um, defense mechanism mm-hmm. that you, you acquired from maybe when you were a toddler. And you know, we uh, we can't. Um, this is this show is not about bashing parents. It's, it's not. No. About, I don't want someone yeah. to hear and say, "Oh my God, no, she did it." I'm also a pediatrician. I'm a child advocate. I speak mm-hmm. for a child who has no voice. Mm-hmm. It's not a dissonance for me. I'm very, very okay speaking up for kids. For 30 years, I've been speaking up for kids. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a headache or a sore throat or you know brain tumor or cancer. My job is to speak up for the child. Mm-hmm. And the ch- your inner child was hurt. Mm-hmm. And probably still hurt. I don't know. Because I don't well, know in between. Right. It was a very isolating experience. That's the word. That's the word. And on some levels, I have always, (laughs) I keep coming back to the word fine. I've been fine with being alone, but really I am. I have great coping skills for solitude. I like my own company. I am an extroverted introvert, um, and 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 I really do need that alone time for myself, mm-hmm. um, perhaps to a fault sometimes. Um, you know, like this whole the the lockdown things have not been difficult for me. <laughs> for you, my wife is like that. My wife is an introverted introvert, and so she's like okay. so happy. Oh, lockdown, okay, lockdown. Yeah, no lockdown. yeah. <laughs> I'm I've got projects to work on. I'm good. You know, yeah, she's a happy. She's happy. She just make mm-hmm. me home. Yeah, something I don't need. Okay, you you go downtown. I'm very okay. It's not that I don't need or don't like other people. You know, I I just I like my own company too. Um, But yeah, it's that incident in the in the hallway. It seems so stupid to me because, like I said, it was a dumb lie about something that didn't matter, but that stupid glow-in-the-dark plastic camel lives rent-free in my in my brain for the rest of my life and that conversation even though like he probably didn't give it a second thought and actually when I asked him about it when I was in my 20s further along he had no idea what I was talking about didn't remember it. It's the little things they say. It's the little things that that you get. The little drops of rain that will end up, you know, basically eroding a rock. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's kind of interesting that that parents can say something to their kids in passing hmm. that uh, they never give a second thought to that lives rent free in their kids' brains for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's got to be daunting. But it's really something I think that, that parents have the responsibility to think about, you know. Those at the back, that is so true because I'm, I have had to let go of a couple of things that, that were doing that to me with regards to my mother or my dad. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a part of the brain called the amygdala, the limbic system, which is in charge of emotions and memory and fear and, and thought processes and things like that. And it wants to always go to one negative emotion and just hold on to it and with self-coaching i've been able to to let go of those things but i i have i won't judge anyone who holds on to them but you know eventually we have to ask ourselves the one question the critical question i ask my clients is does 
that thought ultimately serve you? Right. That's the question. And then you kind of go do this model where you go down to see what is the ultimate result of that thought. And, you know, that's, how, that's kind of how I get, I get them to unhinge and let go of the, the choo-choo train, that piece that is just following the big train, just like sure. Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. How are your teen years and your young adult years? Well, uh, there was there was actually kind of a shift that happened uh, a little bit after we had moved uh, to to this town. Um, with my parents tugging along with the business, and uh, school had always been kind of a safety zone for me because I was good at it, and it didn't really. Honestly, uh, I never really had to put a whole lot of effort into school because it just came easily for me until um, fifth grade uh, when I had a teacher who hated me. And I don't mean like, oh, he hates me. No, this guy hated me. Uh, he, he was my reading teacher and I had never experienced anything like this person and the hate that was directed toward me as a child in my entire life. Um, mm, mm, mm. he was an angry man, uh, who everybody else thought was this very cool teacher. Everybody loved him. Um, when he would end up having to call on me eventually in class, his face would turn red and his, 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 um, veins would pop out. Um, when you did something good in his class, he gave everybody a little ticket as a reward. And then you could um, save up these tickets and then get things. Um, and then at the end of the year, I remember um, if you saved up, like you had to have like 300 tickets and you could watch a movie. And I had five. Oh, wow. Total. Um, and I, I remember thinking, he knows that I don't have 300 tickets because he was the one giving them out. Exactly. Um, something maybe about your personality that may be challenged. But I'm not going to say when this movie starts. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was like, I remember thinking, I, he knows that I don't have them, I'm, but it would be too embarrassing for me to just say, well, I don't have it. So I'm going to leave the class. I'm going to be the only one who leaves the class. So I just sat in my desk and when he came around to collect them. I just went, I don't have them. Cause I'm like, I've got nothing to lose. You hate me anyway. Um, he was, he would call on people to read in class, you know, um, to speak the, like, read a paragraph. And he always called on me for that because for some reason, when I was in his class, I started stuttering because mm. um, he so intimidated me. And, and yeah. as you can hear, I'm not a stutterer. Um, I, I'd never had that problem until his class. Oh I started God. stuttering. Um, at uh, one point, I remember there was a, an assignment that didn't, I don't know, I don't know what it was. Um, maybe I didn't do it well, or maybe I didn't turn it in. I'm not sure. Um, for, it was fifth, yeah, fifth grade, and we went to different teachers for our reading classes, and that was his class. So I was back in my regular class when all of a sudden I heard down the hallway um, my name being yelled by this guy, and I heard his big boots coming down the hallway into our regular class. 
like it was like bringing on like history or spelling or whatever you did in elementary school. And he walked into my regular class and started yelling at me in front of the entire class. And my regular teacher didn't do anything. Just let him finish yelling at me. Um, nobody did anything. Oh it, um, then he left. And then later on, um, I decided that I was sick. So I remember going to the, to the nurse's office. Um, we were all kind of in one little wing. So I'm sure that they heard him in the office too, because he was really loud. Um, and so when I went to go to the nurse's office, she said, are you really sick or are you just upset today? Oh my gosh. And yeah, I probably was just upset and done, done for the day. So, uh, you know, what had been kind of a safety zone in my life, school, being able, and especially reading English and reading and, and, and writing and expressing myself was what I was good at. That was what I was supposedly gifted and talented at. Um, that was no longer a safety zone for me. And I did have my parents who every now and then would, would, would say, you know, if things are going on, you can tell us. Well, you can, you can say that, but I didn't feel that. So oh, that's so powerful. I had a lot going on. I had parents that on a superficial level, I felt like they want, they want to know what's going on in my life, but I don't want to bother them because that would also be a failure. And so I'm going to just keep it all inside of me, which is what I continue to do. And I remember conversations with my mom later on and she'd be like, yeah, something happens, you know, later on in, in elementary school. And we never quite understood why all of a sudden you didn't like school. Well, and then I did tell her, you know, as I, when I was, when I was older, well, that was because that was because of this guy, yes. um, you know, and, and so like, okay, so, Life continues, and uh, I, I feel like junior high was like totally pretty much normal. I was, you know, I had my group of friends, and mom and dad continued with working a lot. And um, mom, you know, she she sought out therapy for her for her panic disorder mm -hmm. and for her her depression issues and things like that, and started, you know dealing with uh with with um talk therapy on things which um was an improvement but it still was kind of her working on herself and not working on the issues with the whole family oh yeah that's what i i, I figured you were gonna go there so yeah so that maybe in a sense maybe in a sense maybe working on herself was kind of the first step absolutely Absolutely. Yeah, you gotta yeah. wear a mask first, right? Something like exactly. That. She was putting on her mask. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, she had a mask on already. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, was <thinking laughs> about, I was thinking about you know how they say on the airplane, you know, to put your mask on first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not if you already have a mask. Right. Right. So you know, uh, we we uh, uh, I continued through through high school and in high school it was like you know. It was okay. Um, I like I had a good group of friends. At the same time, I didn't super duper fit in. I remember 
my senior year, um, I had bitch scratched into my locker. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's a lot of trauma. I didn't tell anybody because that would have been bothering people. But everybody saw it, right? I mean, if it's your locker, everybody well, saw Well, yeah, because it was about an inch tall and four inches wide. Yeah, and it, was there, for, it was there for three quarters of the year. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't, I, I had this mindset of, I'm not going to tell anybody about it because I don't want to bother anybody. And two, if I tell anybody about it, then whoever did it is going to know that that bothered me. So I'm just going to leave it there because then they don't think that that bothers me. Um, but of course it bothered me every time I opened my locker, which is a lot of times in <laughs> three quarters of a year, you know? I feel like that was really emblematic of my experience. I could be happy with it when I was away from the stuff that was right in front of my face. Oh my God. So basically what I'm hearing is like you had somewhat, when you put it mildly, mildly, can I speak English today? Somewhat, (laughs) if you want to put it mildly, of a traumatic childhood at home and at school. And there was verbal and psychological bullying from who you should have trusted. And it's funny, you know, we're saying this now, but when I had my TEDx talk, that's what I said. I said, the number one reason why kids kill themselves, which I know people want to grab onto depression easily as a mental illness. Mm -hmm. I say the number one reason is betrayal Mm -hmm. from people around them, which Mm -hmm. causes mental health challenges versus Mm -hmm mental illness mm-hmm. whereby here you take this medication but mm-hmm. wait I'm the one that's been bullied and ostracized mm-hmm. why me on medicine mm-hmm. why not my environment which mm-hmm. is trees and dogs and cats but also people mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. anyway that's my fight that's my fight till I die to let people understand the pathway to that child that's cutting what mm-hmm. happened is mm-hmm. the you want to ask versus why are you cutting? No, right. what happened? Right. right. Decide that it's okay to hurt yourself, to feel anything. So mm-hmm. were you a cutter? I will just toss that question out. No, there. I, I wasn't a cutter. No, well, you um, I eat. No, oh, you, you know, but either way, self-harm. I was saying, yeah. I didn't even know that. But that's yeah. self-harm. Either starving yourself on this end mm-hmm. or too much to, to quell the pain on this end. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. either way, um, it's still self-harm. I mean, we're supposed to eat, but you know, I, I think I, I, I hear what you're saying when you say I mm-hmm. eat. Yeah. And mm. it, felt, it felt like high school was this sort of, it was, either, it was either very happy or or I was hiding the things that weren't making me happy. Mm. And I think sometimes that tendency to, hide the things is what makes you because you don't want to hide the things but then you're yeah. hiding the things. so there's a dissonance there it's like, but it's, a, it's something that i can control i can control my environment by by controlling my reaction to it and so Mm-mm-mm. when i went to college i went to ironically enough a college back in the same town that we moved away from oh, when wow. I was a little kid. The town that, that I had 
happy memories mm. of my family doing pretty well, mm. managing. Um, I moved back there to go to college. And um, I was a theater major. And oh, nice. I met, <laughs> I met a lot of kids who was a music performer. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Um, I met a group of friends there that are still my friends to this day. You know, um, we it felt like we all kind of clicked and got each other. And I wasn't hurt by the people around me. Anymore. Anymore. At least at that point in your life. What was that? I said, well, I, I said, well at, at least that at point. that point in yeah. your life. Yeah. Um, these people didn't hurt me. They accepted me for who I was. And I was able to show them more and more of who I was. And they were still there for it. And they liked me and I liked them and we had a lot in common and this was new and I no longer had to control everything. Mm. That's, 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 that's is hard to do. I didn't know how to react to it. Yes. Trying to control everything. Which fire are you going to quench? That is very, very hard. It's I did not know how to react to that. Wow. And I didn't know how to reconcile that feeling with how I had felt before. Yeah. And I didn't know how to deal with a lot of the anger I had felt toward my parents um, because I had never dealt with it or talked to them really about it. I just knew that I was angry because that old way wasn't right. And so um, this, this sort of not needing to control my environment nearly as much. And yet, well, what are you going to do? You have so much time on your hand. You a know? loss of control. Yeah. Yes. What, with with what, control. She was with, a girl to do. She has so much time. There's no fire to quench. That yeah. Terrible, terrible, ter terrible story you're telling me. Just the weight of that. I can only yeah. imagine. If the loss of control is your only control mechanism and then you lose that, it, it was this sort of rudderless feeling. Yeah. And yeah. then when I would go back to visit my parents, they didn't understand who I had become at all. Yeah. And I felt a lot of judgment from them. So I could, when I went back to, to my, my parents' house, it was back to walls up. I'm not bothering anybody. Um, but, it, but as you get into college, things, the stakes get higher. And I started not doing well in school, which was new. Um, I wasn't ready for school to be an effort because it had never been an effort before, you know? Mm. So um, I, would, I was getting depressed about my academic uh, cross academics not going nearly as well as they had before. It got harder to get out of bed. It got harder to go anywhere. Um, I quit sleeping. And I eventually 
<laughs> Even though I was there for four years, I did not graduate from college um, because it got really hard. Wow. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, you can't go to class if you can't get out of bed. Mm. And so mm -mm. I ended up um, moving, I, I quit school, moved to my own place. Wow. Um, and with a new start, there's all that enthusiasm at first. Mm. But then, I mean, I was just kind of lost. I didn't know how to be me in the world if I'm not, if I'm not, if I'm not managing, if I'm not managing the situation and all I have to manage is myself. I don't, I didn't know how to be that. Oh my God. And so I mean, I had a job for a while and then it got to the point where I just like, once again, couldn't get out of bed. And I, that doesn't go well when you have to like pay rent. And, <laughs> I'll say, you know, I'll and there was a, probably a good month where I couldn't get out of bed. And then the student loan people started calling because they wanted their money. And so I unhooked the phone because there was no voicemail or anything like that back then. No, uh, no, no caller ID. So you couldn't see who was calling. Molly. So anytime the phone rang, it was just somebody wanting something from me, probably money that I didn't have. Poor dear. The unfortunate thing was that my parents also couldn't get a hold of me. And of course, then they start to worry. Mm. Um, and I remember one night I, I was, it was just so out of control. I couldn't, I couldn't make this life that I was always told that I, I could have, that I could do anything I wanted, that I could be anything, but I couldn't. But I was gifted, I'm gifted. I'm throwing away all my gifts, but I couldn't do it. If you can't get out of bed, you can't do anything. I plugged the phone back into the wall and called a, a, a suicide helpline that night and said that I was having these thoughts. And they said, well, are you in any danger tonight? And I'm like, no, of course not. I'm fine. I'm fine. Because I'm always I'm fine. fine. That's why I called you. Yeah, like, fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Like, like, duh, that's why I yeah. called you because I'm fine. People are fine when they call a suicide helpline. And they're like, oh, okay. great. We just created at a party having a barbecue. That's what they call the suicide help. Are you kidding yeah. me? Like, seriously? Yeah. yeah. So they were like, well, what do you like to do? And at that point, I don't like to do anything. I like, I, I, I have zero affect nothing mm. and 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 i was like i don't know and 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 i remember the guy saying well maybe maybe you could make yourself a cup of tea and i thought i think we're done here yeah. <laughs> and i'm like okay okay i'll make myself a cup of tea thank you and i hung up yes and then that was when i went to the the store and bought as much over-the-counter medicine as i could get um, oh, well, you know, as much as, uh, as much as my bank account would let me, cause God forbid I bounce a check. Um, 
lots of Tylenol and um, I mean, Tylenol would have done it. Um, but then I also bought a bunch of Benadryl and, I, and, then, and then a 40 of beer, which I don't know, I'm, I'm not like a big, I didn't know if that was gonna do it, but I knew it was gonna do something. Um, and in retrospect, yeah, Tylenol would have done it. Um, I went back to my apartment and I took all of it. And cause I just, I was tired and I was tired of the effort. And I was tired of everything being so difficult mm -hmm. and I was tired of having to be okay. Yes, I'm being fine. Yeah. And I remember taking it all and laying down in my bed and I, and I fell asleep for a little bit. And then um, my recollection of what happened, I'm sure isn't accurate, but according to my recollection, I was pulled out of bed, like lifted out of bed and thrown into my bathroom where luckily I threw everything up. Mm. Um, I mean, I was alone. It felt like a supernatural sort of thing. I don't know that I believe in that sort of thing and my perceptions would have been off at that point. Um, so I was pretty sick and I had failed at that too. Um, so here's what we're gonna do. Mm -hmm. Heather, once in a while, I have a client, um, I keep using the word client, a guest that mm -hmm. comes multiple times. Mm -hmm. I really feel like this is a good place to stop because I want to hear how you became a podcaster, how sure. you, you know what I mean? But that's, I feel in my heart that the listeners also would like to, because what you've done is basically giving us the background, which is awesome up to this point, which is what the suicide pages is all about. Mm -hmm. I want to hear the rest. Okay. So I want to ask you if it's okay. This is me asking you to come back for part two. Sure. I do normally publish two episodes per week. So we'll do you that week, whatever the week is, both okay. back to back. Because I know that there's a lot more. I just know it. But mm -hmm. I want to thank you for bringing us thus far. But I want you to, before we leave, I need you to tell the listeners one thing, just one thing to do when they're in that spot where, before you went to the store, before all of that happened. And then the name of your podcast, because I want people to start listening to you even before you come back. You know what I mean? I need name of your podcast already because this is so deep like what you shared today hmm I don't even I have no words what would I want someone to know if they were in my position before they went to the store yes if they're dealing with control issues like I was and they'll do, um, to know that despite what you think, 
Mm-hmm. Control is a fallacy. And that's okay. And it doesn't really matter <laughs> what other people are going to think of you. Hmm. They're going to have their opinions anyway. And if they're in your life in a positive way, they think enough of you to help you. They might not be able to fix it. They might not be able to know what to do in the moment. But you know who you can trust. You, you know in the back of your mind, like the one person who could get you to where you need to be. Amen. Help you get that help. And you just have to take that deep breath and just go there. And it was never your job on earth to be perfect. It was never your job. I would have liked to have heard that. Oh, I love you so much. I want to just hug you. I, I, I can't. Oh, my God. I just such, such a powerful story. Will you please say yes to coming back for part? Oh, sure. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I will make sure that it happens sooner than later because I want, yeah. and I know that my, I know they want it. They're like hanging out. It's like hanging on to sure. It. but I don't want them to I don't I never want any episode to be too long and I want them to still get that. sure, sure. read the name of your podcast oh yeah the name of my podcast is you should have asked me first and <laughs> oh, you almost need to say you don't you almost don't need to say more but I know uh, oh what a powerful name I need to be on that podcast Why yes you do yep yes you do yes I'm well, <laughs> not even on that podcast And it it sort of started off as, well, it started off as a little joke to myself as I I got an award in elementary school, um, the Miss Know-It-All Award from one of my teachers, which I think was an attempt to silence me, uh, which has never super been um, successful. So I I kind of thought, well, if if, if I was a know-it-all, then yeah, you should have asked me first. And I started off talking about uh, things that were happening on the internet and sort of explaining things, uh, just different trends and things. But then when the lockdown started happening, uh, we kind of shifted to just talking about topics. We've talked about um, uh, creativity and innovation in quarantine and making the best of of, of this lockdown quarantine situation and dealing with emotions around quarantine. Um, I have talked to life coaches, I've talked to a magician, I've talked to a, a, a practicing witch, I've talked to lots of different people about lots of different things that are going on in the world, um, teachers, friends, and it's just lots of different topics. And yeah, I need to be on there. I want to come right after the witch. Oh my goodness. <laughs> awesome. I feel like I'm going to be at home when I come on that podcast. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that's, people. That's me first. Are people. people that think outside the freaking box. That's what it These is. Are my peeps. Yep. These are my peeps. Yep. Yep. 
Wow. Well, thank you so much for blessing us this morning, afternoon, depending on when they're listening. Yeah. With your story, it's it's definitely something. And I know you know that. And I know you know that it's 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 you've you've been to the edge. I could tell already. Oh, well, thank, thank you. you for wanting to share with us um, and for sharing because many are called, but very few end up showing up. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Wow. Hold the thought. Mm -hmm. We will be right back for sure. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Lulu, AKA the mom attrition. Heather came today and she wasn't playing. She was not playing. She, was, she kept it raw and real. And that to me is, is what saves lives. Talking, sharing, sharing stories that matter so that, you know, you can, I know I saw myself in, in the words that she said and the words that she didn't say. So hopefully you've also been blessed by this moment in time and you will find it in your heart to share this episode with someone and maybe even go to the next step and find her podcast and subscribe and share and maybe even you might be on it so are you on all the platforms that people like the usual suspects of platforms yes heather usual suspects absolutely yeah. yep. so right. it's called you should have asked me first what a powerful name for a book heather <laughs> why is that not a book yet this is a well, book coach telling you you need to write a book about that <laughs> we'll get there <laughs> so everyone this is dr lulu aka the momatrician i'm going to sign out so i can hug heather's neck a little bit because i know she needs a hug i know i need one and i'll see you guys or listen or rather you will hear us next week when we're going to do part two of heather's story it's going to happen on that note so long farewell peace out and I'll see you guys later. <laughs>